EMSradio.com. EMS information for the next generation. The EMS Garage is a production of EMSradio.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter at EMS Garage. Email us, emsgarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. This episode of the EMS Garage is brought to you by Audible.com. Over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre. Thrillers, business, romance, comedy, sci-fi, and more. Get a free audiobook download for your MP3 or iPod. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash EMS Garage. The EMS The EMS Educast is a podcast by and for EMS educators. Every week, our panel of education experts hosts a program that brings you the latest and greatest in EMS education technology, methods, and techniques. Your hosts will regularly bring you guests from all over the world to tell you about innovative EMS education programs and experiences in other places. Join us each week for the EMS Educast. And visit www.emseducast.com to subscribe with iTunes or the RSS feed, listen to archived shows, and view future show descriptions. The EMS Educast. Welcome to the EMS Educast. This is our first episode of 2011. Uh, we're really excited to be back for what we call the spring semester, or maybe the uh, first semester of 2011, but uh, great to have you uh, with us. We had a nice holiday break, and hope you did as well. I uh, got to hear from some of you through Facebook, where you can always connect with us at facebook.com slash emseducast. And I know looking at the calendar, I'm heading out to some conferences this spring, and Hope to meet many listeners at EMS Today or uh, FDIC, which I'll be going to for the first time. Uh, and so just uh, lots of neat stuff planned show-wise for 2011. Uh, this uh, first show of 2011 is actually a special show of the special show of the EMS Educast because we're taking over tonight for the EMS Garage, a companion podcast of our show, the uh, EMS Garage uh, host Chris Montera asked for somebody to step in and host a show for him, so I leaped at that chance to uh, do a dual recording, maybe introduce the EMS Educast, which is a show uh, by and for educators, uh, but also we find we have a lot of listeners that are field personnel that are interested in getting into training or even students that are uh, want to see what's on the other side of the desk and maybe get some insights to help them succeed as an EMT or a paramedic student. So 
Uh, thanks for uh, Chris and the EMS Garage for letting us have this opportunity to uh, dual broadcast to uh, their listeners. Uh, EMS Educast listeners, if you're not listening to the Garage, uh, certainly uh, check it out, emsgarage.com, or find it on iTunes. And Bill, I know you're a regular participant in the EMS Garage, but you also are part of another new podcast, right? Yes, that's correct. That's the EMS Research Podcast, which uh, we'll be doing another show tonight, Okay. Uh, right after I'm done here. So I have a busy podcasting night. And maybe for EMS Garage listeners, I should just mention I'm one of three co-hosts of the EMS Educast. My name is Greg Fries uh, from Wisconsin, Director of Education for CenterLearn, um, and been in EMS as an EMT and then a paramedic for a little more than 10 years now. And Bill, maybe just a quick intro for garage listeners that aren't familiar with you. Sure. Uh, I'm Bill Toon. I'm a battalion chief for training for Johnson County Med Act in Kansas, actually Olathe, Kansas. And uh, I have uh, primarily do EMS education and have for a good portion of my career. And I started my career in 1975, so I've, I've been around for a few years now. Yeah, that's just awesome. And wherever I go... Uh, there's always people I meet that know Bill Toon from working with you or uh, conferences or whatever, a well-known guy. So it's great to have you back for 2011. Bill and, and Rob Terrio, uh, Happy New Year and welcome back. Thanks, Greg. For uh, for those of you who don't know me from the garage, I, I was, I've actually been on the garage a few times, but it's been probably a year uh, since I was last on there. But uh, uh, I'm Rob Terrio from Ontario, as Chris Montero likes to say. And uh, I'm a full-time professor of paramedicine at Georgian College in Ontario, Canada, and uh, part-time advanced care paramedic in Halton Region. And I've been in EMS for about 26 years. I love that you say you're a full-time professor of paramedicine instead of saying I teach paramedics uh, I, I really think it's a I think it's more uh, gravitas to say you're a professor of paramedicine so right on well that's what they call me there so professor good. do your yeah. students call you professor or do they call you Rob no we're, we're, we're casual I I ask them to call me Rob some of them you know they're quite a bit younger, obviously, and they like to call me Sir or Mr. Terrio, but I, I, I generally insist on having them call me Rob. And the way I, you know, the way I treat my students I, uh, is, uh, to me, they're colleagues. Yeah. Um, you know, in two years' time, my, my entry-level paramedics are going to graduate, and I may well be working with them. And even our post-diploma advanced care paramedic uh, students, they're working paramedics, and again, they'll be colleagues of mine. So I, I always treat my students like colleagues and, and uh it, you know, when I started doing that many years ago, it, it kind of changed my perspective on teaching, and, and I think the students really um, uh, appreciate that kind of mutual respect in the classroom. That's great. great. And mm -hmm. also joining us for this episode of the EMS Educast slash EMS Garage, we have uh, two other guests. Uh, both of them have been probably part of the garage, and I know, Sam Bradley, that you were on the EMS Educast a long time ago. Well, Try to get that link into the show notes. But, uh, Sam, welcome back to the EMS Educast, and, and just a quick intro about who you are and what you do. Well, I'm Sam Bradley. I've been an EMT paramedic, field supervisor, educator, clinical coordinator. Right now I'm, uh, I'm glad to know that Bill at least is one person that's been in the field longer than I have. 
Um, I started in 79, so I'm out of the field now. I'm doing mostly firefighter training, dispatch training, and I uh, teach a primary EMT class up here in the Bay Area. Excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us. And it was episode 35 that you were on, so 51 episodes. Uh, we talked about improving the oh. writing skills of EMS educators and students. So uh, thanks for uh, coming back, and uh, we'll try to not wait uh, 50 episodes to have you on again. <laughs> it's just those Wednesdays that are a problem. <laughs> right, that, that's true. And then also uh, Dr. Jeff Myers is joining us tonight. And uh, Dr. Myers, a uh, quick introduction, and welcome to the EMS Educast. Thanks, Greg. I'm uh, happy to be here, and uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I've, I've been on the garage, garage a couple of times uh, over the last uh, few months. Uh, my name is Jeff Myers, emergency physician in uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, started in EMS 23 years ago uh, as an EMT, went up through paramedic, and has been teaching uh, EMS and emergency care since uh, about 1990. Uh, started in EMS a couple of years before that. Um, currently... I am on faculty for our emergency medicine residency program, which has a heavy EMS component, um, where we're actually getting the uh, the residents, the docs, out into the field and interfacing uh, with the EMS providers in our area. And uh, even more recently, I took assumed the position of director of our simulation center at the University of Buffalo, which is uh, which I'm spending about three quarter time at the university with uh, uh, our five health science schools, uh, running them, uh, the students through the uh, simulation center. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. And I also know that you're at the NAEMSP conference, the National Association of EMS Physicians right now. Uh, yep. I just got in today and, uh, and registered. Uh, the main conference starts tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us. And you know, I'd ask uh, listeners, where else can you hear a podcast with a, a group of hosts that uh, combined? We easily have more than 100 years of experience in EMS, really ac across the country and, and on up into Canada. So it's just great, I think, that we can assemble such a an experienced and, and knowledgeable group. And the, the topic that – oh, first, I just have one thing to throw out uh, – uh, Sam contributed to a book called To the Rescue, Stories from Healthcare Workers at the Scenes of Disasters. And just today, um, that's part of a promotion uh, for a real limited time uh, through Kaplan, uh, where they're giving that away at no cost for the Kindle. And so I downloaded that just today to my Kindle. So if you go to Amazon and search uh, To the Rescue, Stories from Healthcare Workers at the Scenes of Disasters, uh, for a real limited time, maybe like January 17th or something, you can download right. that for free to the Kindle. Uh, so, Sam, I'm looking forward to, to going to your story first. Uh, yeah, and thanks so much for mentioning that, Greg, because that was a surprise to me. I actually found out there's a couple other books by a paramedic uh, that you might want to look for up there. Uh, I went looking for those and saw my book. Yeah. I didn't even know it was up there. But you can also get it, I think it... The route I took was through Barnes & Noble, okay. so you can get it that way, too. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, but it's a great opportunity. Um, in a bunch of different versions. Uh, I also know uh, Kelly Grayson's book, and Kelly's oh. been on the MU Educast a number of times, is another one of those books that's available right now for no cost for the Kindle, uh, the Nook, and uh, we'll try to get something in the show notes about that as well. Uh, but 
onward to tonight's uh, topic, and uh, because you know, typically on the EMS Educast, we're we're talking to educators, and, and the garage has a nice mix of, of field providers, educators, and uh, managers. I thought we might change our perspective tonight and and really talk about training from the perspective of the field provider and. Uh, all field providers have this ongoing need for continuing education and recertification training. And I know from the work I do and the travels and the people I talk to that a lot of people are, are often unsatisfied with their continuing education that they receive and refresher training. And I just wanted to have a discussion tonight with this panel about, you know, sort of the first step is identifying what are your training needs, and then how do you find training that's going to honor uh, your time, your knowledge and experience, and, and the money that you're spending on training, um, and, and really take this from the field provider level to see if we can uh, give some insights and some tips and suggestions to make sure people get uh, training that uh, not only meets their requirements, but is satisfying to them to get to complete. So uh, my first thought, and maybe just go to Rob or Bill first, is you know, what's your advice for a paramedic or EMT just to assess what their needs are sort of beyond the like, yes, you got to get a certain number of airway hours or you have to complete a refresher, but how do you identify the areas where you need training or could stand to improve? Well, I think I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, Greg, and, and when you say assess their needs, because I think what often happens is that uh, field providers will choose the topics that they like and, and maybe that they've done before that they feel safe in and they just want a refresher for. And I think uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, maybe we don't do as well as, say, nursing is, uh, you know, f formally doing some self-reflection and determining what our shortcomings are as a field provider. Where's our weakness? Is it OBS? Is it pediatrics? Is it trauma? And then trying to target our continuing education in those those areas, going after the areas where we genuinely know we're weak. And and that takes you know a certain amount of courage to I think um, go into the um, uh, those areas knowing that. Uh, we may not be advanced as advanced in our knowledge or in our skills as some of our classmates. I think that first and foremost, I think self-reflection is really key. And I was going to jump right in there as I uh, I agree with uh, Rob uh, there. I think the idea of, of looking at something that's easy to do versus uh, something that's going to stretch you and help you grow. I'm always surprised sometimes when uh, – peers and colleagues of mine says, you know, that, that talk was really over my head or it, it really didn't relate to what we were going on. I'm, I'm sometimes personally challenged by that because I think that you should look to um, stretch yourself, do something that is very difficult and not easy to do so you really gain the most out of the, uh, the experience and help you grow um, over the long run. And how about Sam or, or uh, Jeff, your thoughts? I, I, I uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. I, thanks, Sam. I, I was just going to say. I mean, self-reflection is is definitely helpful, but it's it's very difficult to do. Uh, as you said, most people will look at the conference 
list, you know, for example, the conference I'm at, what's interesting to me or what's, what do I think is applicable to me. But really, unless you take that, that inventory of skills and knowledge, uh, which, again, is very hard to do from a, from a self-standpoint, um, it really doesn't tell you what you need as opposed to what you want. Mm-hmm. And if you're, I mean, if you're, I don't know if your system is like this, Bill, I, I suspect it is, but if you're in a system that has a really good quality assurance program, you know, the service you work for will help you identify your skills needs, you know, I, I mean, at least in terms of skills inventory, uh, and, and then you can target it, you know, that might be airway management or some other skill, but, but again, that typically targets skills. Uh, maybe, maybe you have some thoughts around that, Bill? Well, it, we you know what I think that you have to do is is we we feel very responsible for making sure that our individuals get a diverse education and uh, we use a, a multitude of ways to to do it. One is is we build our overall structure around what do they need to do to maintain their state as well as their national registry certification. Then we build in and add to that or enhance that we add in what the medical director wants, which we think is a key thing is that things that he sees from doing reviews of calls and everything that he'd like us to address and focus on. And then also from the formal quality assurance uh, process, we look at things, the trends that we may picked up. And I would say we're not too difficult in other agencies that we're looking at how well do we take care of the four, what I consider the big four critical time diagnosis, cardiac arrest, acute coronary syndrome, stroke patients, and trauma, and build, uh, try to build our programs around meeting some of those big needs. You know, one of my thoughts about the, the sort of like self-reflection or, or the needs assessment is to, to think about calls you've, you've run in the last six months or 12 months and what are times where you've, you've you know, been, you felt your own heart racing or your hands getting all sweaty and like wishing like what do I do next or I wish I knew more about what was going on with my patient and try to think about those situations and say, okay, what, what training or topics would have made a difference there? Um, and then also to think about like, well, what haven't I done recently? You know, just by uh, low call volume or just uh, or luck of the draw, you know, have you not had a cardiac arrest or you infrequent OB calls or pediatric calls um, and sort of identify, boy, since I haven't had many calls related to such and such, maybe it's time for me to seek out some training uh, related to that. If I could throw in here, too, I think what all of you are saying in a slightly different way is it needs to be relevant. And what's going to be relevant to any given group may be different than it is from the other group. And going back to what Rob was saying, you know, I found when I did my firefighter training on Fridays, it was a struggle to get them out of their iPhones long enough to pay any attention to what I was saying. And we were kind of using the death boy by PowerPoint model. And so basically we did a survey and said, what do you guys really need? You've got to have the education. That's not an option. But what will make it more relevant? What will make it more interesting for you? They wanted to take it out of the classroom. They wanted to have, let's take it out to the street. Let's integrate with other agencies. Let's uh, create an exercise and build it from classroom to tabletop to functional exercise. They wanted to do things that were much more practical. So we've really tried to give them the education they need, but in a a format that works a little better for them. You know, that's a, a, I just want a quick uh, 
jump in on that because that's a really good suggestion. I know many training officers, many places, are often sort of stumped as to what they need to be offering. And as you sort of self self-reflect or even talk to your peers approaching your training officer and saying, gosh, could we schedule some training uh, related to such and such, or I find that I'm getting rusty uh, on this type of calls. It would be really great if we could have some training related to that. And, and go ahead, Jeff. No, I was just going to uh, tie into what uh, Sam was saying. I, I'm, as some of you guys know, I'm a big fan of the uh, case-based teaching approach. Um, and I've done uh, the last uh, two uh, NAMSI pre-conferences uh, with uh, co-author Rich Beebe on uh, case-based uh, teaching. And that's that's a, a, a good way to get out of that death by PowerPoint mode. And we spend the whole day and we don't even put up PowerPoint at all. Um, but it's a good way to get out of that mode and engage the, the learners so that they do get out of their iPhones, Blackberries. Android phones, daydreaming, sleeping, whatever else they're doing, and engage them in the uh, in the process. I think they appreciate that much more. Mm-hmm. Or we encourage them to use it as a resource. You know, where where um, uh, you're doing case base, and they're uh, instead of using their cell phone to tweet or to text message people, we you know actually give them the freedom or encourage them to uh, dig material up like a quick drug reference or something like that, so they start to think of their mobile device a little differently. I think that's a great idea. So sort transition to the, the next question here. So you've, you've gone through this process of, of trying to determine what kind of training you need. Now, how do you go out and find it? And, uh, you know, a lot of people will think, well, I just show up on Wednesday nights for training. Or, you know, my training officer uh, schedules a refresher and we just all go to it. And, you know, that's, you know, if you keep doing what you've always been doing, you'll keep getting what you've always gotten. And if that's satisfactory to you, keep doing it. And if it's not, you know, try something different to get something satisfactory. So, you know, what are your tips and ideas for field personnel to find training opportunities that, that meet their needs? Well, I think uh, Dr. Myers makes a good point. Uh, you know, he talks about case-based teaching because I think um, when you're looking through a conference brochure and looking at the speakers and a synopsis of their talk, I, I think that's one of the things that, that uh, frontline providers should key in on is, you know, in the description, does it say something about uh, the, the session being interactive or case-based. And I think those are the ones they should go to because, you know, people, lecture is the weakest form of education and uh, people just don't take away uh, a whole lot from that, even if the speaker is really entertaining. You know, they come away thinking, wow, that guy was fun or that girl was in- interesting, uh, but what did they learn from it? Uh, not nearly as much as they do from something that's case-based where they're actually um, – you know, put in a position where they have to think and engage and speak and volunteer and, and uh, you know, problem solve. Go ahead. Sam, it sounds like maybe you want to jump in. Uh, yeah, I'm reflecting on something Bill was saying about not just challenge for us, but challenge for them. One of the things we like to do if we kind of meet our training goals for a given month is uh, a friend of mine who's a paramedic turned physician um, teaches with me, and every once in a while we'll just say, okay, anything on the planet, what do you guys want to know? 
what kind of subject do you want to touch on? And they always come up with something. They had a case, and this gets back to your case-based teaching. Well, we had this call. It was really a, a difficult presentation, and we weren't sure what it is. We try to do some follow-up on those, but we want to know more about the physiology behind this particular thing or, you know, what is the differential diagnosis on this thing. So we try to do that once in a while, too. And the other thing is that there's so much more through the Internet now. Um, there's a lot of companies, I did some research recently, there's a lot of companies out there that offer CE. Now, admittedly, a lot of it is just your, your basic PowerPoint format or your lecture format. Um, I work with a group called Chronicles of EMS, which I'm sure some of you have heard of. And, you know, you guys do the podcasting. We're, we're playing a little bit with some, some ideas relating to video and how we can translate video into some good uh, CE. So that's a project we'll be working on for a while. Mm-hmm. And in, in terms of the internet, I mean, video is interesting and podcasts are great to listen to, but uh, I think the future is really in gaming, in, um, you know, serious gaming. Things like uh, Zero Hour, America's Medic, and um, 911 Paramedic, a piece of software I'm not that familiar with. But, some, you know, games where um, they're going through cases and they're interacting with, with the game software and, and there's no... There's no bad outcome. There's just, you know, do it over and over and over again until you learn. And I think if you, you know, when we get to the point with technology where, where we start to see more serious games for EMS personnel and where they can um, interface with learning management systems and services and or colleges and universities can track um, their performance, I think we're, we're really going to be on the road to some incredibly robust um, uh, Internet-related or, or mobile learning um, technologies. You know, I'm going to go a, a, a step farther and just say that I don't think it's going to be any one medium. There's not a single mm-hmm. idea that's been presented tonight that is bad or inconsistent, but I think we still are dealing with uh, providers that come across many different generations. You know, my own my own organization here, one of our more senior employees has been employed with us for 35 years. And he has a different learning style that he grew up with that was not as technology-based, computer-based or anything. And he has a different way versus the new 18, 19, 21-year-olds that we're hiring and how they like to approach things and their experience they like to have. And uh, they have a different comfort zone. So I think we're going to still have to make sure that we find out are we dealing with the, the person that likes to hear things? Are we dealing with the person that likes to use their hands and touch and play? And, and again, I think it's going to be that playing, uh, working to all those different uh, learning styles that people have and to try to make sure we don't exclude anyone, but we try to wait, make a way to make sure it's, it's inclusive as possible. Well, that's an interesting comment in terms of learning styles, and that may be something that um, – the individual provider could do to help themselves or, or as training officers can, can do to help uh, put together training. Um, there's an online tool uh, called VARC, and I'll try to uh, send Greg over the link to it, um, which is a, a pretty quick online scale. I think it's about 16 to 20 questions, and it gives the preferences in terms of the visual, auditory, um, reading, or kinesthetic that may end up, you know, if, if you as an individual is is tilted more towards kinesthetic, let's say, then perhaps it's better for you to find a, an educational experience where you're actually doing something, you know, perhaps a lab, a simulation, 
Whereas if you're an auditory learner, then perhaps lecture may be a good way for you to go for some of your education and so on and so forth. Um, but I'll, I'll try to send that link over to Greg so that uh, um, our listeners can try that out. Yeah, I think it's uh, vark-learn.com. Um, and I just put that in the Skype, so maybe check that out and, and confirm, and then we'll we'll add that into the show notes. And yeah, I think that's a great tip to um, you know not only be aware of what sort of content you want, but how you prefer to learn. And you know that could be especially relevant if you decide to strike out on your own uh, to seek out the hours you need. Bill, this year service do employees primarily get all their training through the service or do they are they encouraged to go to conferences or or different training programs that outside of the service well um our goal is is to conduct everything internally yeah. for them that's just our you know we have a fairly robust education division you know we're we're headed by an assistant chief of education and there's three battalion chiefs of training so each shift has their own training officer um and then it's our job to you know meet those needs now with that said anything that comes along i know for example not only is our medical director but one of our division chiefs is at uh, the national association of ems physicians conference uh, this week them opportunities to put in for any conference really that they want to go to that's related to their job. And uh, depending on the amount of money we have in the bucket, so to say now, particularly with uh, the need to keep uh, things in the correct economical picture, we'll try to send people uh, anywhere and encourage them to go to any of the conferences and everything uh, that are out there. But um, I would have to say that the majority of them are pretty satisfied with what we're able to conduct in-house. It's certainly convenient for them. For sure. And and what about the the conferences and, you know, panel, your thoughts on what should people look for in general about just selecting a conference? And I know we mentioned looking at the, um, you know, the description maybe in a conference schedule to choose sessions. What are your other thoughts on conferences and using those for for training requirements I think um, uh, conferences are great just be because of the sheer variety of topics that um, that you'll get in a conference and the, the general you know the wide variety of speakers and and the different perspectives I, th- I think that makes it uh, always always makes a conference a valuable thing to attend in terms of furthering your education um, you know and I was thinking about some of the things um, we, what Bill said about different learning styles and that there's really no magic bullet and you have to kind of target everything to address all the learning styles and what um, Sam was saying about uh, video capture and what we've always talked about audio capture and I think um, you know I, I'm hopeful that more and more we'll start to see uh, capturing of uh, uh, talks at conferences and at uh, continuing education sessions at different services and uh, we'll start to see more of that available on the internet because uh, you know listening to podcasts and viewing video casts uh, is an incredibly great way to uh, relearn material and and just to get exposure to you know uh, emerge physicians uh, or EMS physicians and paramedics and other educators from all parts of 
Canada, the U.S., and the rest of the world is, is uh, just such a great, great uh, learning opportunity. So I think I think conferences are just great for the variety. If I can throw a question out to you guys too, based on that, conferences are wonderful. If I had an opportunity, I'd go to every one of them because I think they all have immense value. But we, like Bill, do all of our training in-house, and so the guys don't seem to want to make a stretch, and yes, they are all guys in my department. Um, they don't want to make that stretch to do anything they don't really need to do if they're going to get their hours in-house. The county and, and locally, they have offered some really wonderful stuff. They try to do the old tape review style of call review and some different things. We tried to have a, a whole-day trauma conference, and we couldn't get anybody to sign up. Um, with my EMT students, I try to say, look, your education starts when you hit the door. Don't think you know it all hitting the door because you haven't learned anything. You haven't really applied yourself. How do you get how do you encourage these people to want to go that extra mile, to want to get past maybe what they need in terms of hours just to do, like Greg was saying, I, I've got this thing I encountered or this thing I haven't done for a long time. I really want to re-educate myself on that. How do you do that? Uh, when we solve this one, we'll have figured out EMS. Uh, <laughs> we'll wait. There you go. Uh, I mean, it's certainly a challenge, and... You know, it's it's maybe one of those situations where I might apply the the ten eighty ten rule, and that uh, you have ten percent of uh, people that are probably vocally uh, saying, "No, we don't need that. Uh, we have enough. Don't make us. No thanks." And then you have ten percent of people on the other end that are leaping out of their chair for the opportunity. Um, and then you've got 80% in the middle, and uh, which, you know, either, you know, either you want them to decide on their own or not be influenced by that negative 10%. Uh, so th that's kind of how I might see that situation, and it might be interesting for our listeners, especially field providers, is to try to think of, of where do you, if that is a, an interesting notion to you. Where do you fall? Are you in the 10% that's I'm good, no thanks? The 80% like, well, maybe, and and maybe you just need a little shove to take a risk and do something new or different or above and beyond, or are you at that 10% that's leaping out of your chair at every additional training opportunity? You know, Greg, I think that's a an excellent thing to look at, but I think that, uh, Sam, we run into the same thing here is, is that almost all our employees want to get their continuing education while on duty because their time away from work is just so important to them because they feel working 24-hour shifts, they already put in a lot of hours, and they do put in a lot of hours already that they don't – they want to have their time off to be something unique for themselves, so um, – it's a challenge, but I think, again, you're going to have this subset of people in there that just want more. So for those people who want more, our organization tries to support that for them so they have an opportunity to go out and get more if they if they want to do it. But it's not just solely um, a requirement of everyone to have it. And And I have to tell you that cost is a big issue. Um, frankly, it is very expensive to go to a conference. And it's not within the means of the common everyday 
frontline EMS provider to be able to do that. And I would say that organizations have probably trimmed their budgets considerably or cut them back entirely right now in the light of all of our economic woes. Mm-hmm. You know, I would also add that if you um, if you really want to further your knowledge base and your skill base, um, take a student, be a preceptor, uh, because the research has shown that we retain about 10% of what we read, about 75% of what we do, and probably over 90% of what we teach. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I don't know that uh, EMS personnel in general realize just how valuable it is to, to be a preceptor uh, you know, what you get out of it, uh, the return on investment you get, rather than just, you know, what you're giving to the student. Yeah, and there's a lot of different ways, you know, precepting's one, being like a lab assistant, uh, becoming a, an American Heart instructor for, you know, the different levels, or first aid instructor uh, for the Red Cross. There's there's a lot of different opportunities where, um, you know, not only might it strengthen your knowledge base, uh, by teaching and being up there in front and answering questions, but then also start developing a, a set of skills as an instructor um, that, that could be helpful in any number of places. Yeah, and I would say that if you're a provider and you're serious about getting into education, that, that it's, it's incredibly helpful to start taking, um, you know, attending workshops and classes in adult education. So you learn, you know, you very quickly learn that, that the lecture is the weakest form of education. And from there, you know, case-based is very good, um, getting students to do group work, uh, learning to teach in a way where students are doing more thinking and more doing and less pure listening. Um, and, and you, you really don't, I, I, I think you don't get that, uh, unless you, uh, you know, take some adult education courses or some formal, a formal degree in, in, uh, adult education. One thing thinking, you know, in terms of primary training, one of the things I always do, especially toward the end of the semesters, is I let the students do a project. And I let them, I'm very, it's very loosely based on what they want to do. Do they want to do a video of doing their own scenarios, doing their own assessments? Do they want to do a poster presentation? Do they want to do a PowerPoint? So it allows them to relax a little bit before finals. It allows them to learn in an environment that they choose, in an environment where they can have some fun and, and show their own creativity. So that seems to work really well at that level. So maybe that's an idea as far as doing something different, uh, you know, letting your people take on a project of some kind and dig into a particular subject, and then maybe they can present that to the rest of their folks. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that kind of work is they always moan and groan about it. You know, when you tell them this is what we're going to do, they go, oh, oh, really? Do we really have to do this? And then in the end, they're almost always, uh, you know, excited about it and, and saying, well, this was really great and this was helpful and I learned a lot. So uh, I think you just have to keep that in mind as an educator. Dr. Myers, do you have uh, thoughts to add on this topic? No, all the uh, all the suggestions are uh, very good suggestions. Uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to stay in academics from a physician side is I'm constantly challenged by the residents who are rotating with other services and, and uh Learning the the subspecialties of medicine from those services, and uh, I, I I learned probably about as much as the residents that I'm working with. I can't say can't say enough about being a preceptor. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that go ahead. Yeah, I missed that. I, now I was just going to add. I was just going to add. I agree with Dr. Myers there. I think it really is right on, and I think that. Uh, 
Rob's a good point. If you really are interested in in uh, being being more than what you are, then one of the best ways to do it is to coach and mentor and help bring someone else along, and it really makes a difference for you to sharpen yourself. Yeah, and as you, I mean, I'm speaking, uh, preaching to the choir here, but there's a real art to being a preceptor too. It's not just about, you know, um, setting someone loose and saying, here, go do the call and then lecturing to them about what they missed and what they did well. It's, it's, it's about sort of finding the inner student within yourself and exploring things with that student. So, um, you know, not perhaps giving them all of the information that you have and spewing it on them, but but helping them explore and look for information and find resources, you know, tap into the physicians they interact with, the nurses they interact with, uh, uh, credible resources on the Internet, uh, those kinds of things. Because, we're, I mean, we're not just helping them learn to, to um, translate that theoretical uh, and lab knowledge into the field. We're also helping them sort of embark on a road to lifelong learning as nauseating as that may sound to, you know, some frontline providers. That's really what it's about. Maybe the wrap-up on this topic is the situation where you're in a, a class, let's say it's a day or a two-day workshop, and um, whether it's a, some sort of recertification class or a, one of the different alphabetic courses, and you're in the audience as a student, and you really realize the the instructor's a dud, or it's not being taught well, or it's just not meeting your needs. You need the class. You need to pass it. How do you how do you get what you need out of that? How do you make the most of a bad situation? Take a bathroom break. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say read your email because I'm guilty of that. But um, <laughs> that's a good question. That is a good question. I'm 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 one of the worst when it comes to dozing off in a in a classroom that's really dry, and uh, you know I kind of have to shake my head to stay awake sometimes when the when the speaker is just droning on. You know I think we have a, you know I think we've all been that um, participant who has felt wow this is nothing of what I want it to, and then the challenge is, is how do you own your attitude about that experience. And again, it's the intrinsic versus the extrinsic learner. If you have to be there, you're being told that you must be there. Then, if you know that, you just need to accept it. Hey, I got to be here. I'm here for eight hours. How can I get? What can I get out of this this experience here? And even if it is carefully looking over the notes they give you, the textbook that you came with, or the subtle soft. Uh, paperback book or your Kindle that you're reading during the course of the uh, the class that's going on, you know, or take opportunities to engage the instructor during breaks and say, hey, do you, do you, do you think we're going to be able to work on this or discuss this or anything, and try to try to again make the the best out of a, a difficult situation. That's if you have to be there. If you're truly there and a volunteer and you've paid for it out of your pocket and it's nowhere meeting your needs, I think you need to tell them that, and you need to ask for your money back. I think on a, if I could be less cynical this time around, I think the other thing to, to do when you go to any kind of lecture or workshop is to um, – I try to go in with the attitude, know not what you know. So I try to go in like I'm hearing this for the very first time with a fresh, a fresh outlook because, uh, I mean, even if you're uh, hearing material you've, you've known in the past, you're just revisiting it, there's – 
always something new that you're going to get from that, and, and a lot of it, 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 a lot of it really boils down to your own attitude going into the, the workshop or the lecture. And, and I love teach, so I, I found it worked for me rather than sit through the classes to become an instructor and, and try to throw a more interesting spin on it for other students. That's a good suggestion, Sam. I like that. Yeah, I, the, one of the things that Bill mentioned is what I often I often start reading the textbook. Um, if it's a course that came with the textbook, I'll just read whatever chapter is being poorly taught and try to make the most of it. Um, and the other thing I would add is make sure you write comments on that end of course evaluation and and really be honest of of what exactly didn't meet your needs, what would you specifically like to see improved. Uh, as an instructor, it's never helpful to get evaluations like this class stunk. Um, <laughs> you know, if if you thought it was bad, tell me what what would have made it better for you, what would have en enhanced the experience. Um, and uh, just, you know, uh, and Bill's suggestion, too, of approaching the instructor at a break, and I think, you know, one of the things that I've always had to sort of work on is the diplomacy of it all and tactfulness, and I like Bill's suggestion of sort of leading questions of like, so are we going to, do any simulations or any cases or uh, when are we going to have some more in-depth discussion uh, rather than uh, maybe speaking something like, this is awful, you're the worst instructor ever, thanks for wasting my time. Yeah. Um, but if the answer to those questions you asked is no, then you can say, this is awful. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> Well, you know, I think it's, you know, I've certainly been the student in the classroom that the instructor is dreaded being there because of the attitude that I brought to the situation. And I, and I, Greg, I agree with you. I really think if there's a way to engage it, uh, I think it's very valuable if there's, if there's a way that you can try to get the good out of the difficult situation that you're in. And I really do think we have a responsibility that if, if you've paid for it out of your pocket and you can genuinely demonstrate to them what's been uh, unsuccessful, I think it's fair to get your money back. You know, and I have, and I have done that, and uh, it's it it just shows how important something might be to you. Uh, when I pay for it out of my pocket, it's it's a big deal. The last thing is pick things that are going to make you stretch. And I, you know, I don't go to a lot of EMS conferences anymore. And it's not that they're they're not full of a lot of wonderful people. I'm looking to really be stretched. So I go to a lot of physician level conferences and. Uh, I sit in there and I find out how little I really know. And uh, for me, it's a, an acceptable experience, that humbling. I feel very quiet and I feel just overwhelmed by the, the people that are there lecturing. And to me, that's what I do is I try to put myself where I'm going to grow. I think that's a, I think that's a great tip, Bill, um, going to uh, physician conferences because uh, you really do realize that it's a whole different world and there's a, you know, there's, there's so much more to aspire to in terms of knowledge, skills, even just the way we we, we communicate uh, the the language of medicine, if you will, uh, be, becomes you know our shortcomings become incredibly apparent when we go to a high caliber conference. The uh, the other thing that that I think helps also is 
kind of shows the the EMS provider that there's more to medicine than the 911 call. I, I for the listeners on the garage, I'm a, I know I'm a big proponent for the public safety model of EMS care, not the I'm sorry, public health model of delivery of EMS care, not the public safety model. And you know, in reality, there's only a, there's a very small percentage of calls that we go out to that are the true emergencies. A lot of the calls that we do, um, just like a lot of the patients that I see in the emergency department, are more urgent or non-urgent type stuff. And kind of broadening that horizon, the horizons broadening the knowledge base, I think is something that helps re-energize that person who's been in the field for for quite a long time and is feeling a little stagnant. So that's a, that's a great suggestion in terms of going to uh, conferences from different professions. It, you know, one of the things I really love about physician conferences and, and hearing uh, eMERGE physicians interact is uh, it becomes very clear that evidence is always at the forefront of the discussion. You know, physicians will talk about this procedure and that procedure and this, you know, new uh, aspect of care in, in this particular type of emergency case, but they're always also talking about the evidence and whether the evidence is weak or moderate or strong in that area. That, and that's something that's really lacking in EMS, and you don't really fully appreciate that until you go to those kinds of eMERGE physician conferences. Well, Everyone, uh, thanks for you know this great conversation. Uh, my thought on on how we wrap this up is, you know, I'm interested. In, you know, this is the start of 2011. Uh, for all of you, what are what do you have on your needs assessment for training this year? You know, what are some specific topics that that you want to stretch on and learn more? And I've really been thinking a lot about. Uh, Bill made a comment on the Educast at the end of 2010, one of our episodes, where Bill, you said something to the effect of uh, paramedics, we have a very narrow field of knowledge that's also very shallow. And I've been thinking about how do I expand both the breadth and the depth of my knowledge in medicine and, you know, the topic area that you know, I'm really going to be looking at opportunities in 2011 as I seek out training are related to the airway, that that's an area where I want to make sure I expand my breadth of knowledge about the airway, but also, also my depth of knowledge, uh, everything from the anatomy and physiology to, uh, you know, the assessment and the treatment. So as I look through the magazines and articles and conference sessions, uh, that's where I'm really trying to stretch this year. Uh, but uh, others, what are you looking at for 2011? Um, probably my weak area is um, hazmat and CBRN, so um, I'm um, looking to enroll in the advanced hazmat life support course this year. But um, as an educator, one of the things I, I, I've done this year is I've enrolled in a bunch of uh, uh, workshops for educators through our Center for Teaching and Learning. And for for those um, educators who are listening into this podcast, because I know we're, we're sort of crossing the lines between EMS Educast and EMS Garage tonight, uh, I, I think... I think it's really incredibly helpful as an educator to constantly reflect on, you know, how we teach and how effective we are. You know, you can be a really entertaining person up there in front of the classroom and you can do case-based stuff, but are the students getting it? How do we know that? You know, what is our formative evaluation process and how how credible is our – what's the word I'm looking for? 
evaluation process and how effective is our teaching, um, you know, are students actually doing and thinking uh, and, and or are they spending the entire time listening? Um, you know, so uh, that's kind of the path I'm on with um, on the education side of things. Right on, Rob. How about you, Bill? Tino, I um, my goal is is to is to do some writing this year and start uh, impacting uh, outside of my immediate realm here, and that's that's my real goal. And and there's a couple of uh, research projects that I want to get off the ground that are very basic, but I think will contribute. Uh, well to the profession and so those are the two things that are sticking at the top of my head right now but I would I want to encourage the listeners to just choose to be involved in your profession that's the, that's the key thing uh, don't be a bystander be a participant awesome and uh, dr. Myers oh from from the clinical from the clinical front um, I'm fortunate that we have a, a pretty robust grand rounds uh, program through our residency program and, and uh, kind of making more time for that this year is on my uh, to-do list um, so I can, I can refresh and grow from a clinical standpoint. From an educator standpoint, now that I'm a year into you know, essentially higher ed, uh, medical school, nursing school type education, one of the areas that I'm trying to grow in is the, is the a more detailed way of, of assessing and managing uh, higher education, curriculum development, uh, those type of things. This is a, a world that I haven't tread in uh, before. It's, it's exciting for me and definitely a, uh, definitely an area to grow. Terrific. And, and Sam, uh, finish us up here. Well, I agree with Bill. I think I want to get back into my writing. I haven't submitted to any magazines or anything in quite a while. I'll get be- I've been keep trying to keep up with all your podcasts, Greg, but you're always way ahead of me. Um, but they're all in the bucket to be listened to and, and do some education that way. As far as our local folks, our firefighters and EMTs and medics, we're we're trying to do a lot. We do a lot of training countywide, which is a good thing. We actually have a training consortium which puts us all together and tries to get us on the same page and. We want to do a lot more partnership training. The new CPR is kind of lending itself to working better as a team. So whether it's a BLS first responder, ALS first responder, ambulance crew, ALS fire, whatever it is, we want to learn how to work better as a as a team. Yeah, there's a whole uh, there's a whole issue of uh, I used to call it rescue team dynamics. Uh, I have previous career, a lot of experience in uh, team building and, and leadership development and there's all sorts of stuff from that experiential education realm that strongly applicable to rescue teams, whether it be a two-person ambulance crew or the two-person ambulance crew plus the, the first responders. You could add in law enforcement, dispatch. All of a sudden, you have a pretty big team uh, that's part of every rescue call. Well, thanks, everyone, for being part of this uh, special episode of the the EMS Edu Garage, maybe uh, we'll call it a term coined by Dr. Myers. Uh, this special episode uh, combined of the EMS Educast a podcast and the EMS Garage. And we always like to wrap up with telling listeners uh, where they can connect with us. Uh, listeners, uh, of course, facebook.com slash EMS Educast for the podcast or on iTunes or emseducast.com. 
You can find me on Facebook, uh, Twitter, at GFreeze, or the Everyday EMS Tips blog, or even the Medical Author Chat podcast. So uh, I'm all over the place and also on the conference circuit soon, uh, so hope to meet many of you in person. Uh, Rob, how can listeners connect with you? Hey, Greg. People can find me on my blog at uh, paramedictutor.wordpress.com. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, of course, on our EMS Educast uh, page, and uh, we welcome comments there, suggestions for future topics, that kind of a thing would be great. And people can also connect uh, with me at uh, GEMS Connect and EMS Connect. Thanks, Rob. And Bill? Again, I'd like to encourage people to to really use our Facebook page as a way to communicate with all of us. I think that that's very valuable. You can also follow me on Twitter, Twitter at WFTune, and uh, those are probably the two best places to, to track me down. Excellent. And, and Sam, how about if listeners want to connect with you? Facebook, Sam Bradley, uh, at Sam Bradley 11 at Twitter. I'm also on EMS Connect, or Gems Connect. I have a uh, disaster EMS page up there, and uh, come on over and visit us at chroniclesofems.com and see what we're doing over there. And um, email me at sbradley at chroniclesofems.com. And thanks, Greg. I appreciated uh, some time in the garage with everybody. Yeah, outstanding to have you back in the garage slash classroom. And, and Dr. Myers, how can listeners connect with you? Um, I'm also on Facebook. Uh, my website is photoemsdoc.com. That's P-H-O-T-O. EMSDOC.com. Um, I'm going to. I've already got a, uh, a few uh, conferences that I'm booked uh, this year. I'll uh, be at EMS today, not as a speaker, but uh, uh, as a participant, uh, kind of uh, running around a bit. So say hi, uh, and hopefully Greg will run into you, and especially if we do any podcasts from there. Um, and then, and then a couple of other uh, other uh, places as well. Well, thanks again for joining us and being part of this special episode of the EMS Garage and EMS Educast. Uh, Like I said, we've got some uh, great topics lined up at the Educast for 2011, and uh, welcome people to be part of that show. And uh, Chris, thanks for letting us uh, take over the EMS Garage tonight. We're happy to do it, and you can uh, let us know if you want us to do this again. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and have a wonderful year of training. And uh, I think Bill's final thought of uh, be a participant and not a bystander is a great one. So thanks again. Thanks.